listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda. This week's episode is for Thursday, October 26, uh, 2023. Episode 94 of the show. I want to make that correction. During my my conversation with my good friend, Peter Haugi, who joins me this week on the show, uh, I mentioned that it was episode 93. That is actually incorrect. It's actually episode 94. <laughs> so minor thing, but uh, welcome to the show. This is a really cool, exciting episode to... Uh, we're discuss and talk about uh we're gonna be talking about back to the future and if you've been listening to my podcast you know that i tend to just talk about whatever i want but uh this past weekend actually was the the uh october 21st which has been a day that's been declared and set aside by the fandom of back to the future to celebrate as back to the future day because october 21st of 2015 was the day according to the movie in part two that uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly went to the year 2015 in order to uh, fix the future, but ended up messing up the past because of, well, spoilers. I mean, you, you probably have already seen the movie. You know what happens. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love Back to the Future. I think it's fantastic. It's one of my all-time favorite trilogies. Uh, my good friend Peter Hauge, who I know loves 80s movies, uh, it was a no-brainer for me to invite him on the show because it's always great to catch up with Peter, see how he's doing, uh, to get his take on the movie itself. We have a fun conversation about interesting facts about all three movies, why it resonates with us so much even to this day. And, and yeah, as, as, as I mentioned, Back to the Future is really awesome. Uh, so anytime is a perfect time to talk about it. I just chose uh, this week to go ahead and discuss the trilogy as part of the fan festivities for Back to the Future Day, which occurred again this past weekend on October 21st. So here we go. This is my conversation with Peter Hauge, uh about the Back to the Future trilogy. So joining me for this episode is my good friend, Peter Hauke. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing excellent, too. It's always good to see you and good to have you on the show. I believe this is your fifth time now, so one of my regulars. Is it, is it five? I thought it was three. No, no. Maybe, maybe it might be four, but, but again... Four? Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, cool, man. You, you just, you're cranking these out. You, you've, you, you've kept it going. I'm, I'm really... Uh, that's exciting oh thanks peter yeah i'm really close to episode 100 i think this is going to be episode 93 if i'm not mistaken oh man wow yeah so so it's it's cranking along it's it's been really fun for me 93 which is uh which is an auspicious number given the uh uh the the um uh content that we're talking about today yeah actually i guess you can make the argument that every number is auspicious (laughs) when it comes to back to the future this is true this is true well very cool yeah so we're going to be talking about back to the future uh the whole trilogy of movies uh i know for the 
for the podcast that people who are regular listeners, they know that I tend to jump around. I talk about anything and everything that I want to, but there is actually a specific reason for back to the future conversations right now. So Peter, I'm not sure if you were aware that I guess the, the fan base for back to the future actually declared October 21st as like official back to the future day. I can, I can see that. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So I guess like everybody was waiting with such great anticipation for October 21st, uh, 2015, the, the day and year that Marty and Doc travel to the future, which is now entirely in the past, which is so crazy to think about. But, but so there's been fan gatherings of people going to the La Puente Mall where the, was the filming location for the, the, the Twin Pines Mall, but then later the Lone Pine Mall. And we're going to get to that as well. Right. Uh, so many cool fan things that people do to celebrate this uh, really awesome trilogy of movies, which again is, I mean, I just love the Back to the Future movies. All of them are really great in my opinion. And of course, I know you're a big fan of 80s movies and movies of this nature as well. So you seem like the ideal perfect candidate to invite on to talk about Back to the Future. I, I appreciate that. I uh, I know how how much you dig back to the future. So when you asked me to do this episode with you, I, I felt it as like a, a, a very particular honor to, to do it with you. So thank oh, you. Awesome. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I'm grateful to have you on. And uh, yeah, I want to jump right into it, talking about how much these movies mean to us growing up, why they, I mean, why they resonate with us so much. So even as adults, uh, you know, what's kind of interesting. I'm not sure if you kind of feel this way too, but a lot of the movies that came out in the early, I'm sorry, the, the late eighties, early nineties had a really, have a really special place in my heart because like I was going to the movies a lot. That was like where I really developed my movie going experience. So you look at maybe like who framed Roger Rabbit the year before uh, uh, Michael Keaton, Batman in 89. Um, even like, you know, things like Dick Tracy and the Rocketeer and going into the early nineties. Uh, and I remember one time just kind of completely random, but my mom, like I, right after school, took all of the siblings to go to the movie. She said, let's just go to the movies after school sometime. And we saw the movie, uh, don't tell mom, the babysitter's dead by Christina <laughs> yeah. Applegate, which I really love. So I don't know, sure. like the, the theater going experience from that time period was really awesome and exciting for me. And it's perfect that back to the futures part two and three came out around that same time in 89 and 90. So do you remember as well, that like, was movie going experience for you a big thing back in the the late 80s early 90s for you yeah it it really really was um i uh i saw uh back to the future 2 i think it uh it was part of a birthday party um or it might have been three I, I remember seeing both of them with uh with a group of friends um but no the movies that you mentioned uh, who friend roger rabbit is probably one of my top three favorite movies of all time uh, I, I remember seeing that one uh michael keaton's batman um uh bram stoker's dracula uh it's yeah there, there's so many just amazing movies that that i remember seeing in the theater uh don't tell mom babysitter's dead was also an excellent one um uh my stepmother's an alien i remember seeing that in the theater uh, oh after, that's a deep cut uh, one yeah <laughs> right right um batteries not included uh, -huh. uh beetlejuice you oh, know yeah. i mean just yeah, some some really big ones uh, from around that time that uh, no, I have very very fond memories of, and yeah, Back to the Future two and three were definitely uh, big ones. I mean, I was a little I don't I don't think I saw Back to the Future one in in the theater, but I you know I still had such a a, a good knowledge of it. Um, I guess I just must have rented the heck out of it um, on uh, on VHS, um, but uh, yeah. Uh, no, I definitely have have big uh, movie going experiences. I remember um, 
one of my favorite one of like a core memory for me as uh, as my kids would say uh of going to the movies i remember seeing a trailer for willow and being like oh man that just looks like the most epic thing ever and i remember asking my mom like mom please can we go to go see willow and it's very important i have to have my own popcorn like i wanted <laughs> like that was just that was a thing like i needed to have my own bucket of popcorn and, and I, that's that's exactly how it went down and so yeah that 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 time frame uh is is absolutely uh huge huge um lots of memories for movie going experiences Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then for Back to the Future trilogy itself, what would be the appeal of that movie to you? Why do you why do you think you enjoy that one so much? Gosh, um, I mean, at the time as a kid, um, you know, Back to the Future 2 was just so amazing. I mean, it was one of the most like futuristic but like realistic yeah, i'm not talking like star wars and star trek and you know like going way off into like super science fiction but it was this like very realistic uh almost attainable future that like you could almost imagine you know you can really see like things heading in that direction i remember um i didn't like car magazines or you know cars or motorcycles but if there was ever an issue that i saw in the store that had like prototype cars or prototype motorcycles i had to have it because i was just so interested in how things were going to look in the near future and like what i was going to be doing within my lifespan so um that was that was a big appeal to it as i get older it's really appealing just to think about that that whole concept of going back 30 years um and you know seeing what things were like and i said 93 was an auspicious number because if we were to go back uh 30 years right now wouldn't it be 1993 that uh, yes. that, that we'd be going back to and so even leading up to this uh, podcast i was thinking like man like how would would that be as big of a deal you know going back to 1993 versus like 1985 to 1955 um you know the movies really show just how dramatically different the 50s were from the 80s you know and then i i wonder like gosh was was night like would 93 be that jarring to to like my kids if they were to go back right now to like 93 and hang out with me as a you know as a kid in high school i i don't know so we're gonna um, come back to that point for sure so, so excellent hold awesome. on to that point hold on to that point <laughs> cool cool but uh for, for me you know what i i really love so many aspects of it so uh marty mcfly i think is an incredible amazing uh protagonist i mean that he's flawed that you know what if any one of us as teenagers came across a sports almanac and had the opportunity to travel to the past i'm sure all of us would have probably you know said forget the consequences i want to make some sports bets i want to make some money uh yep. you know he has to learn from the error of his ways why that's wrong you know doc is a fabulous mentor to him and played to perfection by by uh christopher lloyd i mean just really over the top really excellent as his uh his mentor uh the musical score by alan silvestri is just absolutely iconic i think it's up there with star wars uh and john williams yeah. uh alan silvestri has a long history of working with robert zemeckis as well as a dire uh director slash composer so that was really cool um and then uh e even as a villain uh, Biff, played by Thomas F. Wilson, he, he's like likable but detestable, like uh, the villain you love to hate, I think, because yeah. he's, he's so over the top as well. So so everything about the concept of Back to the Future, I thought was just absolutely fascinating. 
and parts two and three, I think gives it really fresh original take on what they can do without repeating some of the story plots of the first one, even though, yes, I can understand that there are some, you know, flashbacks or like, you know, uh, elements of part one that appear in part two, but I think it's done in a very creative way that you don't really feel like you're just retreading on familiar territory, but you're actually seeing what you saw in the first movie from a different perspective, which is pretty cool. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, Biff is absolutely one of my favorite, uh, favorite villains. And yeah, I mean, he is, he is a creep and, you know, the, uh, some of those scenes at the, uh, at the end with him and Lorraine in the, in the first movie are, are a little hard to watch. And, I I would I would almost say they those particular scenes didn't age too well. Um, yeah. You know, especially consider that you know he's uh, he's forcing himself on Lorraine, and then we still come to find out that he's like a family friend more or less. You know, like that that's that's kind of an odd uh, an odd element. But uh, yeah, no, I I love Biff. He's he's great, and he's just got some of those the best. Uh, uh, the best lines in the movie, you know, the insults that he just can never get right. You know, why don't you make like, you know, it's like, that's as funny as a, a screen door on a battleship, you know, and make like a tree and get out of here. Like, those are, those are perfect. I love those. So I want to bring up that point about Biff again. Not that I want to keep focusing on like, you know, really detestable things like what he was sure. trying to do. But, uh, you know, when I, I always kind of interpreted that in the original way that the timeline plays out, uh, in my mind, Biff actually didn't try and force himself on Lorraine because Lorraine was already invested in George because she felt sorry for him. But then yeah. Marty inadvertently changed the past. I think that scene now is happening, which is kind of weird. So I guess the, the way it, it would have played out originally was that Biff would have been a family friend, but he hadn't of he wouldn't have uh, tried to force himself on Lorraine. It wasn't until Marty had accidentally interceded himself in the past that that event occurs. But again, I could be wrong. That that's true, and that, I guess that's even more weird to think about it. That Marty's grand plan was to, you know, make it appear that he was going to uh, try to make a move on Lorraine, and then George was going to save him. So, God, that, geez, that, that that's kind of a mind uh, a mind trip right there. So. Yeah, we could be exploding our minds by the end of this podcast just thinking about all the nuances of this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, and there's there's a couple that uh, that have gotten to me recently. There was some uh, some fan theories that uh not fan theories, but uh, revelations that I'd come across uh, by some other fans that, uh, that definitely blew my mind. Um, uh, you know, come, talking about uh, uh, in Back to the Future 2, um, Marty dies twice. Have you heard about this? Uh, no, I haven't. I, it's, I was saying it kind of sounds sort of familiar, but no, I don't think I've heard that. Okay, so uh, Marty dies twice in the movie, and is, and Doc goes back apparently twice in order to save him. There's the part where um, he's up on the rooftop of uh, of was it the Biff Biff Tower or something like that, um, where you know he's where Biff is rich and you know he's in charge of everything, and Biff is going to shoot him, and Marty's like backed away to the edge of the building. And he jumps off only to be saved by Doc on the DeLorean who lifts him up. Apparently, there's no way that Doc would have known when and where to meet him unless Marty had actually been shot or fallen off of that roof and died. And then Doc goes back to sort of fix that mistake. There's no other way that Doc could have known when and where to be at the uh, at, at that exact point in time had those events not already played out another way. And the second time comes when uh, Marty is on the hoverboard being chased by uh, old Biff 
or you know 50s biff in the car going through the tunnel he's going through the tunnel on the hoverboard biff is hot on his heels and just as he's coming through the tunnel doc drops down the uh, the banner and uh, and lifts him up to safety and again it's the same kind of situation where there's no way that doc could have known when and where to be had those events not played out already resulting in marty's death in like a in a horrible way so that's another kind of like just uh, it absolutely blows my mind to think about that 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 doc did most likely witness a couple different alternate realities or alternate futures and then go back and fix them more than we uh we end up seeing on screen oh that's very interesting yeah in fact i mean to me that that those theories make absolute sense and probably would have been the way it would have played out. I just imagine that for the sake of filmmaking, like the, the filmmakers and producers needed the story to flow. So they could sure. go through the process of having to like have doc go back in time to fix it. But, uh, but yeah, that's actually both really interesting uh, uh, theories to consider as far as like Marty's fate in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. Very cool. Very cool. So going back to that point that I wanted to bring up about meeting our our kids at a younger age or even the reverse, you know, meeting our parents when they were our our teenage age. So the idea for Back to the Future came about with when producer Bob Gale, who also served as the film's writer, was going through his parents like high school yearbook. And he saw that his dad was like student body president and was all, you know, you know, heavily involved in ASB, I guess, things of that nature. And I guess uh, Bob Gale wasn't that type of student. I think he might have been like, you know, quote unquote, a stalker as it were. I don't know. But uh, it just kind of seems interesting to me that he thought that uh, what I have actually been friends with my dad if I knew him as a teenager. So that concept has been very interesting for me to think about. Uh, what do you think, Peter? I mean, uh, I, I don't think I ever met your dad ever before, but I have met your mom in the past. Uh, yeah. you, you, knew my, you knew my mom in high school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you? Not, not my, not my mom. No. Uh, when when I met, was in high school, I met your mom. When I was in high school, you met my mom. No. Uh, what I was, what I was trying to think was, you not, you not only knew me in high school, you knew my kid's mom in high school. Oh, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, that's that's a weird one. Um, yeah, I have thought about this uh, a lot, and it's funny because uh, I actually have my uh, my Temple City yearbook sitting about uh, ten feet away from me. Oh, hey. Sorry, my dog's uh, just <laughs> in the way. Um, I have my Temple City yearbooks uh, not too far away, um, and I had pulled them out recently. And my kids were going through them; they were, you know, looking at pictures of me, and they were reading all the stuff that uh, that people had uh, had written. So, um, yeah, I I think I'm very similar uh, to how my son is now. We I think we would have really gotten along uh, had. You know, if you were to have have to go back and and hang out with me, uh, we, we we did come to that conclusion that we would be uh, very similar in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my daughter, she she's she 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 had a similar thing. Like we we were talking about, like yeah, you know, we definitely would have uh, would have been buds. Uh, but uh, it is such a such an odd uh, odd concept to to think about. And like I say, it does go back to. Um, if my kids were to have a time machine right now, they'd be going back to 1993, you know, and what it might be like for them to try to fit in, in that, uh, you know, in that nineties world and just how different, uh, different things are. I mean, we're talking, you know, um, uh, uh, no high speed. internet. So, I mean, if you have the internet, you're, you're waiting, you're doing dial up. 
which is yeah, exactly <laughs> you're doing, you're doing dial up and things are looking completely different. You absolutely don't have, you know, a smartphone, you know, uh, cell phones. I don't even think we're really that big. Maybe you had a pager, you know, and could, uh, could get a page from someone and go, go to a cell phone or uh, pay phone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can't even remember the, the word for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it, it's, it's definitely been something that, uh, I've discussed with, uh, with my kids, uh, quite a bit. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it, it, it's it's a really neat concept to always think about, and it's it is fun to to daydream about it. I I, I, I think that's a huge a huge appeal to the to the movies. I think so too. Yeah, in fact, I think that's why uh, Bob Gale when he came up with that concept that hey, this is a winner. We got to write a movie about this. But what's interesting to note is that the, the Bob Gale and Zemeckis went through several rejections from studios. Like nobody wanted to touch this movie, and famously, I guess Disney had completely shut it down based off of the plot point of Lorraine being interested in Marty in uh in that way. So interesting that, that um, creeped them out, huh? Yeah, it freaked them out. So, so again, what was kind of interesting as I was doing more research about this is that uh, Back to the Future had to be put on the shelf because nobody really wanted to touch it. Uh, it was actually the next movie that Zemeckis would end up doing would be Romancing the Stone with uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, which was a huge hit. So Love all of a sudden, movie. because he had a movie that was successful, studios were more interested in working with him and working on his projects that he had. So it ended, almost in a way kind of like parallels or kind of reminds me of George Lucas's experience that without American graffiti, we don't get the original Star Wars movie. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so from there, so the movie's getting made, but then uh, I'm sure it's, it's well known that Eric Stoltz was going to be the playing Mar uh, Marty McFly. He actually been actually cast, even though Michael J. Fox was the original actor. Uh, are you familiar with the story of Eric Stoltz at all? Uh. Very little. I, I I've I've heard that that he was uh, originally uh, up for the part, but no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know more uh, more beyond that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so basically, I mean, because they couldn't get Marty, I'm sorry, they couldn't get Michael J. Fox. They ended up with Eric Stoltz. Uh, Michael J. Fox, I guess, had a huge like uh, commitment with family ties. Like it was too much going to be uh, too daunting for him as far as like a filming schedule would go. Uh, but I guess they found that after a few weeks of uh, him playing the role of Stoltz, he was ended up being let go for being too intense. I guess, I, I don't know. It was kind of a little unclear as to why they didn't exactly like him. Maybe he didn't quite have the comedic timing that they are hoping that uh, Marty McFly would have in the role. Uh, so another interesting aspect to consider is that uh, Melora Hardin, who plays uh, Jan Levinson from The Office, was actually going to be Jennifer Parker. But she was en ended up getting let go when they let go of Stoltz, which I thought was really fascinating. Oh. Wow, I, I had that one. I had never heard that. That's incredible. Yeah, that is, that is pretty pretty cool. So so they hired uh, Claudia Wells, who only played uh, Jennifer in one movie. Uh, but again, the, the whole concept was very very interesting to me. So they ended up um, reaching a compromise with the studio for uh, Family Ties to allow Michael J. Fox to film at night. So he went to a really hectic, crazy schedule where he was like during the day filming family ties in the evenings and the weekends doing back to the future. So going off a very little sleep, but I'm wondering if he had to keep the same like hectic filming schedule for his other 80 movies, because he also did teen wolf and the secret of my success in that span of a couple of years after that. So it's, it's interesting for me to think about how in demand he was and how uh -huh. hectic and crazy his filming schedule was. Yeah, he was definitely, uh, 
he he was definitely the guy in in the eighties. That that must have been really rough. And I think I've heard that even he was uh, dealing with uh, early signs of his uh, his Parkinson's uh, during uh, during filming of Back to the Future. That uh, was was kept very much you know um, kept very much under wraps. But uh, that you know that was another that was an added layer of uh, um, some of the difficulties that he had. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Teen Wolf. Uh, <laughs> Teen Wolf is one of my least favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that one always kind of kind of kind of bugs me. But um, yeah, man, that must have been so incredibly tough. Um, I, I can't imagine the life of an actor like that uh, going, you know, doing all all that uh, all that shooting. I mean that that could not be fun. <laughs> I, I really can't imagine that being a fun life. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a little more well known, but uh, Huey Lewis makes a cameo appearance as, uh, I guess, a member of the student board during the the judging of his band and performing the Pinheads. What? Oh, did you not know that? Oh, I, I did I not know, know that. So, 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 uh, as we know in the story, uh, uh, Marty McFly is in a band called the Pinheads. He has aspirations to become a professional musician. Uh, he has a demo tape which he's reluctant to give to you know the record producer, and you know Jennifer's the one who's being the supportive girlfriend, trying to convince him to do it. She's the only one who actually goes to their audition for Battle of the Bands, and they're playing the song uh, uh, "Power of Love." Uh, uh-huh. the are, and uh, one of the school board guys right there with the megaphone comes up and says, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. And just cuts yeah. off. That's Huey Lewis right there. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so so it was a huge, um, huge opportunity for him and his band. I guess they got a lot of international recognition because of how popular that song plus the, the Back in Time song were as well. Uh-huh. Wow. So that was pretty cool. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, and then speaking of like rock rock stars and rock musicianship, uh, are you familiar with the the concept of how they did uh, the Johnny B uh, Johnny B Good into the the movie? No, no. How do you mean? Okay, well, I mean basically like why it was incorporated or like the the aspects around it surrounding it. No. Okay, so this is one of my favorite aspects as well. Me being like a a student of rock and roll music, uh, I'm always just interested in learning about things of this nature, like. It's it's kind of cool to hear that, or just you know, it's it's fiction, obviously, but that uh, that Marty J, that Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly was inadvertently responsible for creating rock and roll, the birth of rock and roll, because he inspired uh, 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 Chuck Berry, whose his cousin uh, Marvin Berry was in attendance yeah. for the the song. But apparently, the the choreographer, a gentleman by the name of Brad Jefferies, had taught uh-huh. uh, uh, Michael J. Fox cer- certain guitar moves, like for instance, like the duck walk thing. Which uh-huh. is kind of like a Chuck Berry staple, and also used by uh, Angus Young from uh, ECDC, where basically sure. kind of like hopping on stage with the guitar. Uh, the playing behind your neck, I guess that's a, a staple of Jimi Hendrix, and even like the the windmill uh, swerving when you're strumming the guitar, that's kind of a staple of uh, Pete, Pete Townsend from the Who. So it was kind of cool to see that he was incorporating all of these. Uh, trademarks from fa- famous uh, guitarists and musicians into his performance while playing uh, Johnny B. Good, which I thought was really, really cool. And and obviously that's not Michael J. Fox singing, but he did actually learn how to play it. So so that's actually, I guess, like recording, he knows how to play the song, but that's not him singing Johnny B. Good. Man, you know, I I mean, I I definitely you know picked up on on uh, on uh, Marvin uh, talking to uh, talking to Chuck on the on the phone and you know holding yeah. the, the stage. Um, but yeah, no, I never really thought about the, uh, 
the consequences, you know, or what that really meant for uh, for rock and roll as far as uh, the future goes. You know, they they talk in, in the movie about uh, you know we can't create a paradox and you know they'll destroy the universe, but um, but man, Marty, he really uh, completely changed the uh, the future there. Like that's yeah, I guess he he kind of did, <laughs> or, or or maybe not even change the future, but like wow, that does create a paradox because then how would Marty have learned the song had he not? Wow, okay, I'm sorry. I, that time travel movies, man, they 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 really mess with the they mess with the head. Yeah, I, I was kind of hesitant to bring this up because I mean it's going off topic a little bit, but it is related to time travel movies, like the concept of the Terminator, where in mm. the future John Connor sends uh, Kyle Reese back to the past to to save his mom from the Terminator, but Kyle Reese ends up impregnating Sarah Connor to give birth to John Connor. So like, how yeah. do you send your your future dad to the past to to you know? You with your mom, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. it blows my mind too. But <laughs> oh man, that's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. Basically, <laughs> okay, words there. Very cool. Very cool. Um, did you have any other points about Back to the Future you wanted to bring up? There's a few others before we jump into Back to the Future too that I wanted to bring up. So, um, you know what? One of one of the things that I remember, uh, uh, the peanut brittle. Have you seen the peanut brittle scene? Oh yeah, yeah. So that was something that always really like it, it confused me. I always thought Crispin Glover's performance in uh, in the first movie was like weird. You know, I'm always just like, why is he acting like that? Like, you know, I get he's supposed to be an awkward guy, but I mean, he is really just like he's really strange. So I um, I always thought it was uh, a, a weird part of the movie was at the very beginning when you know they're sitting down to their family dinner. And uh, Crispin Glover, he pulls out this big box of peanut brittle and he pours it into a bowl and he's just like chowing down on peanut brittle. And Marty's giving him this like look of disgust while he's eating the peanut brittle. And I like that always kind of bothered me. And I was like, what what's going on here? Like, what's with the peanut brittle? Like, why is Marty looking at him like that? Uh, and there's a deleted scene that we uh, they, they, they took out of the movie. I don't know if it's because of running time or it doesn't really fit. But, you know, we see Biff come in bully uh, uh, George McFly around, you know, giving him a hard time about, you know, the car having a blind spot, you know, and who's going to, who's going to pay for his cleaning bill and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but after Biff leaves, George gets another visit in the deleted scene by a neighbor who his kid is selling candy for the boy Scouts or something like that. And he's like, ah, you know, come on, buy some candy. And then it just turns into like, all right, how many boxes of peanut brittle can I uh, can I put you down for? And I think he ends up buying like a case of it. And it's just another example of Marty being so disappointed in his dad for being, you know, so incredibly spineless. Um, but I always just thought it was a really awkward kind of it, it was awkward for them to cut the peanut brittle uh, sale scene, uh, but still keep this weird scene of him snacking on peanut brittle and this like look that he gives them so i don't know that, that that that's one part of the movie that i just always thought was a little uh a little strange you know and uh i, I wish they had i don't know changed in, in some way or at least uh at least kept around so the peanut brittle always always bugged me oh no it's a very interesting concept to bring up in fact actually if i remember correctly i, I watched the the video on youtube the deleted scene and oh, I, okay. uh, the the son or the daughter i don't know if it was a boy scout or a girl scout but the father who's selling them um, to to george mcfly says hey I, I i told you this is the only house we have to come to because he knew he could sucker him into buying yes. the entire, uh carton or whatever they had to sell 
So they only yeah. had to go to one house because they knew they could just bully George into doing it. So, but you know, speaking of Crispin Glover, I want to jump ahead a little bit and talk about his uh, 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 firing, as it were, or I get him successfully suing the studio over his likeness, which is kind of interesting because it's very much relevant in today's modern Hollywood landscape with the things that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild are are suing for, or I'm not sorry, mm-hmm. are striking for rather. Uh, it's very, very interesting to me that he would actually successfully beat the studio, or I guess maybe, I don't know if he, he won or he they settled out of court, but basically the studio had, un without author, proper authorization, used his likeness in Back to the Future Part 2. So yeah. are you familiar with the story with uh, with Crispin Glover and what happened? I, I'm familiar with a bit of it. So the way I had heard it was that Crispin Glover was, uh, was kind of upset. And I guess, you know, it led to some creative differences, but he was upset when he saw the final cut of back to the future, because I guess he was either under the impression during production or, or maybe even pre-production when they were pitching the idea to him that he thought the movie was like going to be about him. He thought he was like the star of, of that movie and it was going to focus uh, around him and i guess he was sort of upset about how it how it ended up panning out that he was gonna that he turned into sort of like the side character is that is that more or less the, the way you've heard it more or less yeah that was part of it and also what i had heard is he took exception to how the future in 1985 changed as a re- result of marty getting his parents together like the fact that uh that the the family's better off like you know like his brother dave doesn't work at a fast food place but has like, a good job where he's you know dressed in a suit that uh, he that George is a successful publisher. You know he they have wealth. They're they're not like you know uh, dingy like they were before. So I guess like my understanding was uh, Crispin Glover took exception that thinking the studio execs or the filmmakers were suggesting that money buys happiness, which I never interpreted that way. I always interpreted that you know the J- Jennifer Parker often quoted Doc Brown saying that uh, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. So the yeah. fact that if you, you you really apply yourself, you actually take the effort to, to to try your best and you can actually find success in life and find happiness. And success can be measured in a variety of different ways. But to me, it just seems that the George's change in demeanor and attitude from not being so spineless and actually stand, standing up for what's right could mm-hmm. result in, you know, the family having a better life, I think. But then again, that's just the way I interpreted it. So No, and, and I, I think your interpretation uh, is, is is spot on. Um, that That's that's the that's the way I saw it, too. I mean, you know, they I don't know if it was money buys happiness because, I mean, really, they were in the same house. You know, yeah. it's not. Big, <laughs> uh, it was almost like uh, the confidence that George sort of had in himself. You know, it was the confidence that led to happiness yeah and, you know led to a little bit better life i mean they, they didn't seem like super rich i mean i guess there's the truck uh sitting in the garage and all that but um yeah no that's 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 really interesting i didn't i didn't know he uh took exception to that but uh you know uh crispin glover does seem like a sort of a, a an odd an odd duck uh so i mean i, I guess it's not totally uh unusual yeah, that's true. So, so all of that apparently led to him uh, opting to not return for for part two and for part three. Uh, so then the studio to to get around that, I mean, they use like you know, I guess a body double to that they hung upside down in the future in 2015. So he had like, makeup, so you couldn't really tell that was him, and then use the archive footage from part one, incorporating that into to part two. So they didn't really have to do a whole lot. 
as far as like, you know, filming new scenes with uh, Crispin Glover. Uh, and I, I don't believe they, they credited him. So, I mean, they just kind of like used the footage that they had. But I guess since it was kind of implying that, hey, we're using George McFly in the future as a, an old man now, that that was enough to for him to sue over the unauthorized use of his likeness. And again, again, the story's a little hazy. Either he actually won. I don't know if he actually went to court. I think maybe they settled out of court. But for all intents and purposes, he did win. So, wow. so it's kind of interesting to to see an actor take on the studio, get his payday. So they, the, the studio got what they wanted and that they were able to incorporate George McFly into the, the, the future sequels without Crispin Glover and he got his money. So, so Uh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, um, that's interesting. I do wonder if it, if it was so much of the upside down, uh, you know, George McFly, you know, um, replacement that uh, that he took issue with uh but yeah i never even really thought about that that uh um of course also you know them having to to film all the scenes you know back in the 50s you know with uh with a body double and then using like you say the uh the archived uh footage mm-hmm. um if that was really the uh the bigger part like hey i didn't film you know these scenes knowing that they were going to be used for a completely different movie, you know, with just a completely different paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So that's, that, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. But then speaking of like, you know, recastings or having to, you know, fill the void now for, for actors or actresses deciding to not return. Uh, Claudia Wells, as we mentioned, didn't return for parts two and part three. So she was replaced uh, by Elizabeth Shue, who, you know, obviously uh, in the, in the mid mid eighties, I mean, you know, you, she did Ali and Karate Kid. She did this movie. Uh, I can imagine a lot of people probably had a really big crush on Elizabeth Shue back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was cool then, that uh, she got to be in the movie. And then was was Top Gun next? Uh, no, I don't think she was in Top Gun. She was the oh my gosh, am I am I am I botching this? She wasn't uh, opposite Tom Cruise in Top Gun. No, no, that was uh, Kelly McGinnis, I think. Oh my god, I'm okay. Wow. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So, anyways, uh, so so they had to refilm that whole ending sequence of part one using Elizabeth Shue because they had to replace her, who obviously had previously been played by Claudia Wells. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is that is. So, uh, and you you would probably know better. So, part two wasn't already planned out after part one. Uh, my understanding was like uh, I guess they had loosely talked about it, but they didn't really intentionally plan for it because uh, the movie initially just kind of ends when when Doc yeah. says line uh, roads where we're going, we don't need roads, and then the DeLorean lifts up, flies into the sky, and and right into the camera. But uh, for subsequent releases of Back to the Future, I think they added in the words to be continued. Uh-huh. We're intending to do the the sequels. In fact, parts two and part three were filmed back to back. For those who aren't aware of that. So. Yeah, which was I remember that being completely mind blowing in the theater to two ends, and then it goes into to a trailer of of three. Like oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's part of the movie is is that uh, uh, the trailer for for part three and sort of that preview that uh, that we see. So, huh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's very cool, very cool. Uh, so going in with uh, uh, Back to the Future Part Two, there's lots of really cool. Um, interesting facts about that one. Uh, Elijah Wood makes his feature film debut as the little kid yep. in the cafe eighties, which is kind of funny to see a, a little little Frodo Baggins right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that that's very cool. 
Uh, and then you're going back to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, Robert Zemeckis in between filming parts one and part two, he would go on to do back to uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. In oh. fact, I mean, I would love to have you on panel talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There'd probably be so much we can talk about with that movie. But I could talk about that movie all day. I love that movie <laughs> so much. So, so anyway, yeah, Zemeckis did Who Framed Roger Rabbit and also scored by Alan Silvestri. So, you know, that, that team was back together. And then uh, so while they were away, that's when, you know, they were having to take a little break between filming. And then when Zemeckis was finally available, they started filming two and three back to back. And then Roger Rabbit actually makes a cameo appearance in the, the Blast of the Past store where Marty buys the almanac. You can see a little plush Roger Rabbit in the window. Holy smokes. Really? Yeah. Little, little things like that are actually pretty cool, I think. So. Wow. And if, if I'm remembering correctly, the, those are the same tunnels that Biff is driving through, right? The, on, yeah. uh, along the Arroyo Seco uh, freeway. Um, <laughs> they, they use that in Back to the Future too. And uh, those were, of course, uh, featured in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Wow. And, you know, speaking of recycling like movie sets, it's also pretty cool too that uh, Kingston Falls, the, the town square in the movie Gremlins and Hill Valley – the, are the same city for the the town square area which is pretty cool too sure which is on the universal, uh, yeah, universal studio yeah yeah so i do want to come back to that as well as far as like filming locations go because like here in the southern california area we're uh accessible to so many locations yeah. of back to the future which is really cool and awesome yeah um so i wanted to talk about again uh uh yeah, here it is. So predictions of what the year would have looked like in 2015. It's interesting that they got a number of things correct, like the use of drones. Like we see a drone walking a dog uh, in sure. 2015. Uh, we see uh, flat screen TVs, video chat, uh, wearable technology like smartwatches, even the use of tablets, which is kind of interesting that uh, in a way, I mean, I guess the filmmakers were almost on par with The Simpsons as far as like getting their predictions right. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean... There's that. There's going into a restaurant, you know, and dealing with, uh, you know, uh, a, a screen where you where you order off of, you know, versus yeah. uh, uh, like an actual, uh, you know, wait staff or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that they, they really uh, didn't get was, uh, um, you know, flying cars. That's, yeah. that's, that's like the one thing we're, uh, we're waiting on. That um, and, and the hoverboards, which there's a funny story about the hoverboards. Allegedly, there's a video, I think, of Zemeckis or, or uh, Gail, one of the two, saying that they actually had developed the hoverboards, but that parents groups were denying them selling them to the market to the point where like uh, kids, parents, whoever it was, was actually like bombarding Mattel with phone calls demanding hoverboards when it was just a prank, like hoverboards were never a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's funny. Um, <laughs> gosh. Uh those that 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 really was such a great concept though the uh, the hoverboards um but i'm also thinking about that that scene where um they go to uh the mcfly house and um god what was it marty jr is that is that what marty ends up naming his kid is it is it marty okay yeah marty jr comes home and he turns on the tv and he, uh, he he has the TV load up, you know, like Channel Four, Channel Seventeen, sports, and he he like watches six uh, six channels all at once on the uh, on the television. Um, I always thought it was a really cool one, which you know for a while we had going on. Remember the TVs where they had the uh, the in frame? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Right. I guess it didn't really catch on, right? Because you don't really see it too much in TVs today. But like uh, 15, 20 years ago, that was all the rage, right? Yeah, right. That was a bit, that was a huge selling point to, yeah. to have a, a picture in picture, you know, yeah. whatever a channel 
two two channels going at once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but speaking of Marty Jr., so uh, what's really fascinating about Back to the Future 2 is that they were developing, you know, film techniques, which is really amazing and wonderful to see film continue to grow and advance the way it does, that they are using a technique called the Vista Glide which enabled uh, uh, actors to appear on screen with their counterpart, like with the, themselves, which is really, really cool. Not having to do like a, a whole different, like uh, changing costume and kind of splicing the footage together. It's a really interesting technique. I don't quite understand it. I was wondering if you kind of understood the concept a little bit more, because we get to see scenes where uh, Thomas F. Wilson is com- is interacting with his older self and younger self together at the same time. Uh, Michael J. Fox is playing Marty Sr., Marty Jr., and his daughter at the same time. So those scenes, like it just was done so seamlessly in the movie. Uh, but again, it's such a really cool, maybe even like a complex technique developed by Industrial Light and Magic. So another cool thing that George Lucas and his team was able to uh, incorporate. So do you kind of understand the Vista Glide technique and that concept? No, I, I don't really. But it's interesting you say that because I remember uh, Multiplicity uh, when that came out, which was, you know, uh, well after uh, Back to the Future 2 came yeah. out. Yeah. Um, that was a big deal of the movie. You know, like the, the I remember watching like the makings of Multiplicity and then talking about just how like incredibly difficult it was to have, you know, one, two, three of the same uh, actor uh, in, a, in a scene together. Um, and I don't think multiplicity looks half as good as uh, some of those back to the future scenes look when they got uh, uh, both of them on screen at the, at the same time. Um, so no, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know too much about the, uh, the, the, the techniques uh, behind that um, only that they nailed it. Uh, but I'm also guessing that, um, I, or I feel like, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the scenes in my mind that uh actual actual screen time of you know the two act or the same actor uh facing uh facing themselves um is probably seen less than uh maybe like the use of body doubles and you know just sort of like quick uh quick cuts and you know trick uh trick photography um but yeah no i i didn't realize um that that was uh vista glide i'm gonna have to look that up that's really cool yeah, look up some YouTube videos on it. Like they, there's some videos that describe it, and it, it's really cool. But at the same time, like I don't quite understand it. I, oh, I kind of do, but not well enough to explain it. So that's what okay. I was. Yeah, watch some videos on YouTube about it. Okay, okay, I'll check it out. Okay, very cool. So I want to bring up one more point from uh, part two. That would be the the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> it's so crazy to think that it almost happened in real life. Uh, yeah. Uh, again. Uh, a lot of fans of Back to the Future speculate or, or suggest that, hey, the baseball strike in 1994 threw a monkey wrench into the space-time continuum because there was no World Series champion that year. Had there been a World Series champion, the, the Cubs would have won in 20, 2015. Instead, wow. they won in 2016, just one year later. Yeah. No, that I, I, I buy it. I, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, works, that works for me. Yeah. In an interview I saw with uh, Bob Gale, he had suggested that plot point because in his mind, he just thought the Cubs winning the World Series would have been so far fetched. Like the Cub, had, the team had gone over 100 years without even winning anything. So to say, hey, they actually won it would be one of those like mind blowing things like Marty would think like, what? Are you serious? That can't be right. But uh, yeah, so it is kind of crazy, kind of a cool uh, Easter egg they threw in there. Along with the fact that uh, Miami at the time didn't have a baseball team, but then they right. would have the Miami Marlins in 2012. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, the Florida Marlins, but then relocated to the city of Miami just a few years prior. So, uh, but unfortunately, the they play in the same league, the National League. So, a World Series meeting between those two teams would be impossible. But, oh, yeah, huh, interesting. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, part three, I think, is really great too, but I didn't really have as many like uh, interesting fun facts about part three, even though I do enjoy part three quite a bit. Yeah, part three, I think, gets a lot of. I don't want to say hate, but I, I feel like a lot of people do rank part three as the weakest of the of the trilogy. Yeah. And I I, I mean, maybe I'd have to I'd have to do the same as well. Um, I mean, I, I do think it's amazing. I do like it a lot. Um, but when it comes down to like which back to the future to turn on, I mean, it's usually you know, a toss up between between one and one and two. Um, part three is definitely more centered around Doc and his love life um you know it's uh that one also plays with um the concept of of really changing uh changing the past right uh there's mm-hmm. the uh, the gorge um or the uh, uh ravine the ravine thank you uh there's the ravine where uh the original name was um uh clayton ravine named after clara clayton yeah i, I was gonna say it wasn't clara ravine but yeah clayton ravine um and then yeah that uh, that of course changes um but uh yeah, no, I I think the the third movie is a lot of fun because um because of so many of the callbacks that it has to the other movies, right? We see uh um uh the uh, the frisbee, um we see uh him doing, you know, the shooting gallery just like he does in uh, in part 2, you know, playing the video game. Um I always love that line when uh, the the old west guy asks Marty, "Hey, how would you learn to shoot like that?" 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah, uh, yeah the uh, the Clint Eastwood thing, um, and you know it's it's funny the uh, the character that we never really learn what is up with him, and I, I feel like it you know had they kept it uh, kept the franchise going, uh, but Joey the uh, you know the jailbird uh, the jailbird oh, uncle, yeah yeah that, that he has right he makes a cameo in. Uh, um well he not a cameo uh, but he shows up you know they talk about him back to the future one when he's uh, having dinner with uh, Lorraine's family you know they uh uh he, he sees Joey and then uh, he, they even do the same thing when he's back in the old west um uh, uh is talking to himself um Marty playing uh an Irish or uh, I should say um Michael J Fox playing an Irish version of himself yeah. uh, which I I think is hilarious especially when you know, he goes back and tells him like, "Oh, you can't, you can't go in there with a, you know, with a hat like that, or you know, you gotta have a hat." And so he gives yeah. him his hat, which you know is, of course, just as uh, equally mocked and uh, and ridiculed <laughs> by everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do the uh, the bulletproof vest uh, scene. You know that we see uh, Biff watching in Back to the Future Two. Right, he's uh, yeah. in the hot tub, yeah. and uh, he sees uh, Clint Eastwood do the bulletproof vest, which. I guess is what inspired Marty to, to pick that up when he faces off against mad dog Tannen. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do think that uh, back to the future three doesn't get nearly enough credit as it, as it should, uh, because I, I think it is a, a really fun one. Um, you know, we have the model scene, right. Where uh, doc apologizes for, you know, oh, sorry, I didn't have time to build it to scale or, you know, paint it. <laughs> like, like he builds this very accurate recreation of, uh, of the city, but is apologizing that, you know, it's not quite right. Um, 
yeah, we uh, we see the scene of uh, of Clara walking into the workshop and wondering, you know, just what what they're working on, which is the same scene that we see when uh, Lorraine, you know, comes in as uh, comes into the workshop and you know is looking at the DeLorean. So, I I don't know. I I, I think it's a great movie, um, and I I need to. I need to go back and, and watch that one again because I, I do think it is it is stronger than people give it credit for. Uh, and it, of course, also gives us one of the coolest things ever, and that's at the very end is the time-traveling train. If, oh, there's yeah. any, if there's anything cooler than the DeLorean, it's that train that pops up at the end, which I, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. oh absolutely yeah 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 i totally agree i think uh, part three is really fun it's a, it's definitely a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy uh and you know you, it's cool you bring up those callbacks like uh, it's the movie uh uh a fistful of dollars a clint eastwood movie that yep. he's watching and then marty gets the idea to you know use the bill of press which is really cool uh in fact i actually think that he also kind of probably got the idea from doc using a bulletproof press all the way back in the first movie yeah, right. That that well, there's probably yeah. numerous ideas where Marty would have thought, "Hey, I I got to come up with some type of plan." So, yeah, yeah. Uh, then I also like just, I mean, go, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, where they need to come up with like creative solutions to the same problems they had before. Okay, so they're out of plutonium, they're out of gas. How how are they going to get the 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 DeLorean to get up to eighty eight miles per hour? Oh, okay, we can use a train. Uh, right. so the whole con the, the whole climax of the train sequence is really exciting and fun and actually looks visually really cool even for its time so so yeah i can i can see people maybe not liking part three as much as the other two but i did think it was very exciting particularly the climax of the movie i i completely agree i mean i don't even think we've seen anything quite like that yet you know where a train going that fast and they got those those uh, different colored logs that they uh, they throw they throw in or the whatever fuel that they have you know it's like the it's a green yellow and red one right that they yeah. that they put in it changes the colors of the smoke like that yeah i you know not to be too cliche but i was on the edge of my seat like are they are they going to make it you know yeah. of course you know the uh should, you know shouldn't have any doubt but yeah no that that was that was very very well done and an incredibly exciting uh um climax to that uh to that movie oh absolutely yeah yeah so so i want to talk about really quick just uh cameos that did make it into the movie and cameos that did not but i guess was potentially rumored to have happened so zz top uh classic rock mm. appearance playing as the band at the the festival uh-huh 1885 so it's kind of cool and they, they kind of fit right in with their beards like they already look like they're old sure. to begin with. uh and yeah. then allegedly allegedly ronald reagan had been offered the role to play the mayor of hill valley in 1985 for part three oh, uh, by that time i mean he was well into his presidential run you know long retired from from hollywood so i can see him turning it down but allegedly yeah. he had been offered the role to play the mayor of hill valley back then wow that's that that is very cool um Huh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And then one more uh, fact, fun fact that I wanted to bring up, or I guess maybe for Michael J. Fox, this wasn't maybe too fun, but interesting fact that uh, the scene where he's being hanged and then uh, uh, Doc comes out and shoots him down, apparently Michael J. Fox actually blacked out. Like, I guess it was a pretty dangerous stunt where, you know, the rope's choking him uh, that it potentially might have even, potentially could have killed him if they weren't there fast enough to save him. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a, unfortunately a stunt that just went horribly wrong. But fortunately for Michael J. Fox, he was okay. Wow. 
I did. I didn't know about that. So is the reaction that we're seeing from him on, on screen? Like, is that him really like, I, I believe so. I think they did keep that, that, uh, that take in. Wow. Oh my gosh. Which is interesting to me. Cause I mean, I've heard of that happening many times in movies where there was like a near death experience and something where somebody got actually pretty injured, but they ended up using it after all. So I'm wondering if actors like that, I mean, is that something they would try and strike or fight over? Like, Hey, I don't want to see that on screen. Uh, just a thought that popped into my head now, but wow, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, I wonder. Um, I mean, I, I think of uh, of Viggo Mortensen breaking his toe, you know, in uh, oh. in, in uh, Two Towers. Yeah, um, I think of Leonardo, <laughs> think, of, think of Leonardo DiCaprio um, cutting his hand on the glass in uh, in Django uh, oh. Unchained. Yeah, uh, yeah, wow. But I never knew that one about uh, about Michael J. Fox. That's that sounds like the most terrifying of all. That would be that would be awful. Yeah, yeah. Just like I mean, one time as as a young kid playing around in Boy Scouts, like we had a, a one of our leaders kind of lassoing us, and just to kind of like you know wrap it around your arms. But he lassoed me, but he actually got it around my neck, and it was actually oh. really scary. I was oh my gosh, like like you feel like you can't breathe, like you feel like you're about ready to pass out at that moment. So uh, oh. they they got it off of me really quick. But again, it was a pretty scary few seconds. So, so yeah, it's definitely, I can imagine for Michael J. Fox, it was way worse than, than what I went through, but yeah, that's not a sensation I'd ever want to experience. That's terrible. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, ending on a high note now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Please. So, so I mean, the movie's really great. Just chock full of so many interesting facts I and mean, we could go on for much longer if we wanted to, but what I wanted to do was talk about some of the really cool filming locations that are here in the area. Yes. So, you know, uh, if you're a local to the Pasadena area, you're very familiar with the Gamble House, which is uh, Doc Brown's mansion from the outside. I uh-huh. guess the inside interiors were filmed at a different mansion in Pasadena. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the high school, Hill Valley High School is actually just Whittier High School. Uh, so locally yeah. here as well. In fact, even the, the, the Burger King right outside of uh, Doc's laboratory from the beginning of the first movie is just a Burger King in Burbank. Oh, okay. So, so little things like that is that kind of cool. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the the Twin Pine Mall, which later became the Lone Pine Mall after Marty ran over Old Man Peabody's pine, is <laughs> uh, just the, the La Puente Mall here in Southern California as well. So have you had a chance to visit any of these locations here for, for the filming of the movie? The, the, the Gamble House I've driven by many, many times. Uh, I've never actually like done a tour uh, around it, uh, but I've, I've been by the Gamble House. I, I think I've been by the, uh, the mall uh, a couple times um but i but i never did check out the uh the high school um uh were there also some other scenes uh like some of those neighborhood scenes was, was that in um like where uh, marty's house is was that in pasadena or was that south pass uh, or my, for, or south pass or for for lorraine's house lorraine baines parents house and for george mcfly's house okay uh, they're okay. both in south pasadena yeah yes yes yeah uh, the the McFly House from 1985 is also here in Southern California. I just don't remember which city. Mm, okay. All right. Huh. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So one of the cool benefits of living in this area, like a lot of uh, Hollywood productions take place in and around here. So you can just drive around and see some of these cool locations and see just how, how they look today, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I love spotting that in movies when you can see the San Gabriel Mountains, you know, uh, just behind everything i'm like oh hey i know those mountains like yeah i recognize those absolutely anywhere and i mean they're 
literally right here outside my uh, outside my window. Um, so yeah. no, that that is that is definitely a, a cool perk to to living in the area. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So as far as Back to the Future goes, I mean, there's not enough good things I can say about this trilogy. I absolutely love all three movies. So much fun. I uh, never get tired of watching them. In fact, I make it an annual tradition to watch all three. Uh, personally, I actually think part two is my favorite. I think it's the one that resonated the most with me. Just the idea of actually getting to ride a hoverboard and for all the reasons that we talked about previously. Uh-huh. So do you have a, a favorite of the trilogy? You know what? Part two is also my favorite. Um, I, I that one you get the fun of the fifties. Uh, you get uh, you get the weird, you know, um, apocalyptic version of the eighties, uh, and then you get uh, you get the cool version of twenty fifteen. So yeah, uh, part two is definitely is definitely my favorite. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that. Oh, awesome! Very good. Uh, did uh, you have any I, other uh, points you wanted to bring up before we wrap up? Well, from what I've heard, um, and you can tell me if this is true. There is not going to be a remake or a sequel like that is something that uh, they have stated many times over, right? That they are absolutely done with those movies and they're like they're they're untouchable in in, in some ways. Uh, like I think Zemeckis has said there will not be any any remakes of, uh, of this movie, which I mean, considering the, you know what you see uh, so often today it, it, it seems like a movie that people would be clamoring to to remake you know mm-hmm. or reinvent or expand upon in some ways but i i feel like i've heard that back to the future is very much off limits for any kind of uh uh remake or or extension is that is that right yeah that is my understanding i think he kind of humorously phrased it like that he had to die first before like you know they could do what they I guess once he he does die, maybe the studios could come in and do something, which I hope not. But uh, I I think health-wise, he's doing good. So I don't think he's dying anytime soon. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) Uh, But it's interesting that you would mention that because I guess the Back to the Future franchise has kind of like continued on in not not in film, but in other aspects. Like there was the the very popular ride at Universal Studios, sure, which was uh, you know I I guess uh, no longer exists there, but uh, that would have been fun to ride that ride. Uh, I think there was the animated show that, that debuted afterwards in the, the late 80s, early 90s, right? Okay, I, w- I, was, I was trying to think. I'm like, was there an animated version? Yeah, they, they did that a lot, right? They did an animated uh, Back to the Future. They did Ghostbusters. They did yeah. Beetlejuice. Like, anytime there was a, there was a popular uh, movie, then they, they, they had to animate it and do a yeah. show. Yeah, sometimes those animated shows were good, sometimes not. And it usually would only last for maybe like a season or two. But Sure. Sure. And then uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Telltale Telltale video game series. Like they did Walking Dead, a couple other ones. Like it's kind of more cinematic as opposed to like button mashing. Huh. Okay. Okay. So apparently there was a Back to the Future game that was loosely based on a potential sequel idea. I never played it myself. But, oh wow! So okay. so there is there's been a few few instances where the franchise has continued, but for the most part, yes, it's been really confined to the three movies. That's awesome. That's very cool. But, uh, but well, I love that they're so popular that everyone just celebrates them. Like every year, uh, if on October 21st, if fans are gathering, I'm excited to see it. And uh, I never get tired of watching these movies. Well, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing when, when we're done is I'm going to be putting on Back to the Future 3 because uh, I feel like uh, that one that one deserves uh, another uh, another viewing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, sounds good. So if there's nothing else for today, we'll go ahead and wrap up. But uh, Peter, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I, I love talking movies and I really mean it when I say let's, let's get together and talk about who framed Roger Rabbit. You know what? <laughs> I am. I am so there for that movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, cool. I would love that. 
Awesome. Well, great, great to always see you again and glad you're doing well. And uh, to my listeners, thank you. You've been listening to the Cats for Fun podcast. Yeah.